Life's pretty tough right now for a lot of people. And this can really impact our mental health. Even if you're stuck at home, it's so important to stay connected. In fact, it's more important now than ever. If you have a mental health issue, the SANE forums are a place where you can talk online to people who get it. They know what you're going through because they've been there too. The community on the forums discuss all sorts of experiences, so you're sure to find someone like you who can help you feel less alone. The forums are completely free and anonymous, and mental health professionals are there in the background 24-7, so you'll always feel safe and supported. Sign up right now and chat to others at sane.org forums. Because physical distancing doesn't have to mean social distancing. Sane.org slash forums. That's S-A-N-E dot org slash forums. We care because we've been there. Whenever we talk about stuff on this podcast, how often do you reckon you go away and actually read, follow up, listen to something I've talked about? Well... Not very often, but <laughs> I've done it this time because I oh, went off oh. and I've listened to Strong Song. Oh, oh, oh like very happy. Did cat. you did you like it? I so I you know me well, so you said you should start with something you know satisfied. I like. Yeah. The song from Hamilton. Yes. Which I have to say, oh I'm my God, now I have infected you with my I'm, stuff. Strong songs, Hamilton. I know, it's all happening. I know, but I mean I'm actually worried about the Hamilton thing now because I actually, it's in my brain the whole time. Same here. And I wake up in the morning and it's on a loop in my brain. It's really... I know. It's really... People say things and I'll be thinking in my head, why do you assume you're the smartest in the room? (laughs) Why do you... (laughs) It's a bit worrying. Like, I think, yeah, I think I'm a bit too far in. And, and, um, you know, and now that people know that we're into it, they're sending us things as well. So, like, I know, just puts you deeper into it. Michaela Maguire sent us this sort of like truly fantastic, but you know, very time consuming collection of links, including Lin Manuel Miranda's song that he performed at his wedding, which is find it on YouTube. It's just like, and it makes you glad to be alive. It's just the Hamilton mixtape, which is all other famous people singing songs from Hamilton. Which Um, is superb. Um, Amazing. But I did listen to, and of course I listened to it with my daughter who's now just unscratchably (laughs) addicted to Hamilton. Actually, it's been really, it's been a really good family experience because my daughter who's 13 is now just getting to that incredibly exciting phase of learning things on our own and getting interested mm, in things and researching things and it's just man it's such an exciting thing to watch you know and that's great people like a kid going from you know learning things that they're told to learn to just like oh so now she's you know walking around regaling me with biographical details of <laughs> Hamilton's life and did you know this about Thomas Jefferson and in in a lot of ways I think that is Miranda's gift it's a gift to history you know and, oh, and yeah. to kind of inflame history with this sort of new light and intensity is just such an incredible thing to be able to do. See, um, Missy saying that, I'm like, history has yeah, its eyes <laughs> on you. So I listened to Strong Song's analysis of Satisfied, which is, I think, one of the great songs, I agree. Um, it very, sort of a, almost like a linchpin song, actually. Yeah, yeah. but yep. I just... I, I'm only halfway through or three-quarters of the way through the episode because my children kept... Interrupting me this morning when I was Bastards. trying to, yeah, um, but it um, it just made me actually just made me proud to be a human being. Like just the 
weird shit that people's brains do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one thing that I think would be really interesting, because, I mean, it picks apart Satisfied and explains um, all the little signature yeah. themes for all the characters and the stuff, it's just so complicated and beautiful. It's like this fractal bloom. Yeah. Um, but, but then when he explains it, you're like, Oh yeah, of course. It's you know Angelica, Eliza, um, and, and then I'm Alexander. I love Hilton. that there's a whole tour of people who are like really into Peggy and Peggy because she's just that's all she is. And Peggy, but apparently she was amazing. Um, but can't be that amazing. I'll stop. This is how history works. Some people just get butchered, you know. But then somebody wakes them up uh, hundreds of years later. I mean, that's what happened to Hamilton, right? Like you, you, totally. You're not always yeah. necessarily dead. And I think about you know, I mean, in our history. You know that work that Claire Wright did to yeah. retell the story of Eureka. That was just bringing these people back to life in this exciting way. So, I mean, I think if you're a dead historical figure, you're not ever entirely without hope that one day people <laughs> actually recognise what the bloody hell you so were did, trying to do. So, did um, did you like the way Kirk Hamilton explained it? Oh, apart, it's amazing. He's a brilliant teacher, isn't he? He's an absolute genius. And um, I, do you know what I would love to listen to? I would love a spin-off podcast where they get Lin-Manuel Miranda in to listen to and commentate on that podcast oh. where they say, God, this is amazing. I didn't mean to do that. that yeah, or, that because, would be great. Yeah. And did you – the other question that I had when we did the podcast where we talked about Strong Songs was I wanted to know if somebody who listened to it without musical knowledge could follow it easily. Right. Well, that's me because – Yeah. yeah. And could you? So I um, – I mean, I learnt piano when I was a little kid, um, refused to practice um, and – Went Never went further with it. <laughs> wasn't bribed by him, my parents, because you know we grew up tough. We didn't get money for doing. Yeah. Anyway, so um, I am following it, Great. but I'm following m- the the more easily explainable things, like when it sort of slips into mi- like a minor key or something right. like that. I don't probably recognise the significance of that as readily as you do, but. It's like a little treasure hunt, really. That's yeah, all it is. It's totally. just like digging out and kind of stripping back everything else that's going along and saying, oh, I have to listen to this. And yep. this is why you feel like this. And even just, um, you know, just, just the the obvious things like, oh, well, Satisfied is a speech at a wedding, but the the feel of it is not all that celebratory at the beginning. It's kind of, and it's actually about um, reminiscence. And um, so it's kind of, that stuff is not really technical. It's more about yeah. mood and, and yeah. what the song's trying to tell you. But And what about when he explains that because Satisfied is um, it's a key character in Hamilton mm. sort of recounting something that happened back in time. Yeah. What about when Kurt Hamilton shows that the Angelica theme, Angelica, when she is doing the bits going backwards in oh time, the theme plays backwards. That is mind-blowing. It Absolutely. Was, I just nearly died when or he explained it. Or that bit when um, she introduces herself um, Angelica introduces herself to Hamilton and the line is kind of like different from her normal theme and um, it's like, oh, why is that? Why is there a different thing? Oh, it's borrowed Eliza's theme because she's about to introduce him to a light. Yeah. It's just, it's just boggles yeah. your mind. Um, it's so, I mean, I think you and I have discussed privately, like I think because we both are words people, when you first sort of confronted with Hamilton, you're really just blown away by the lyrical yeah. cleverness of it. Yeah. And, and not only is he telling this, you know, complicated historical story, he's telling it in hip-hop and rhyme. With and, all these layers and, and references, amazing, this incredible consistency oh, and pattern. And these yeah. nods to, like, other, you know, musicals and famous bits of hip-hop and blah, blah, blah. So you're sort of completely 
drawn in by the cleverness of all of that. And then when you listen to something like the Strong Song Satisfied episode, you realise the musical skill is as strong as the lyrical skill, which just is absolutely mind-blowing. I mean, I've been reading, I think I said when we talked about Hamilton, this book called Hamilton, The Revolution, which is the annotated book, basically. Yeah. <laughs> That's This is how bad this... Somebody, yeah, somebody, we need, an intervention. Know, we need exactly. an intervention. We need an intervention. We need a spin-off podcast. But there's oh, tiny little annoying, things like when I saw um, the show in London, I I thought, oh, that's interesting because um, in the first half um, there's Lafayette mm. and in the second act Lafayette. it's Jefferson. <laughs> exactly. Audrey's Jefferson. trying to learn the Lafayette rap at the moment and <laughs> oh, it's the fastest thing I've ever heard. Like, yeah. I don't in know French how um, And the same actor plays Jefferson in the second half. Yeah. Um, and I thought, oh, I wonder why they've cast the same actor as Lafayette and Jefferson. And also Hercules Mulligan is James Madison oh, really? in the second half. Huh. And then the other person who's the third friend whose name escapes me is the other you know, key cabinet member. Yeah, right. I can't remember who the third one is, but it, that all stems that decision to cast the same actors in the t- in the two separate characters. Those that group of three um, is from a lyric in I think it's um, my shot, mm-hmm. where it says something like, uh, "We fight with you," and it has a double. The lyric has a double meaning, which is in Act One we fight alongside you, mm. and in Act Two we fight against you, you in oh, political right. sense. And so huh. they decided, well, the way to sort of emphasise that is to have the I same characters, I'm... actors. Oh my god, just insanely clever. Um, well, I'm super glad that you've listened to Strong Songs, there you go. and because, as always happens with our podcast, when we mention something, a whole lot of chatters go, "Well, that sounds right up my ballpark." That's so, not an approach. You can't say right up my ballpark. You right say my, right up my alley or right in, in my, my ballpark. Thank you. Like, <laughs> Why do you assume you're the smartest in the room? Why do you assume? <laughs> um, <laughs> the, Kirk Hamilton sent me a little message on Twitter because he got suddenly no. inundated by all these new listeners from Australia. And oh, like, yeah. you, know, you wake thinking, up one day and you go, what the here? hell is going on here? <laughs> so he sent me this lovely note about how many chatters had sort of suddenly arrived on the oh, scene over at Strong so songs, which was great, um, and also that he was really happy. Does he know that they're a pushy crowd? <laughs> yeah, he'll, <laughs> be, he'll like be finding demanding out. merch. <laughs> we want, you know, you have to do this song. You have to do that song. Yeah, Gwen's um, going to take over the merch for Strong Songs next. <laughs> You can see it happening. Um, anyway, he he also said that it was nice to hear me talking about it because I'd clearly listened very closely. But I think that I listened very closely because he explains it really well yeah. and I think that's why you retain a lot of Shot information. Shot to the top of the class, Lee Sales. I'm so happy about that. <laughs> anyway, I said to him, if you ever come to Australia, um, give us a yell because I'm sure you'd be a welcome guest at one of our live shows. I to be out of the room when that happens <laughs> because it'll just be like, well... I could go for a walk for 12 hours he and no also, one will even notice. He didn't say this directly, but he implied that I'm special now and he said no. if I have any songs I'd like to have explored oh, or anything man, to ask in the Q&A that repellent. I should let him know, oh. which he doesn't know me well enough to know that I will most certainly be taking him up on that offer. All right. Well, now that means that I get to absolutely urinate in your ear about some podcasts now. Yeah. yeah. So um, I've been trying to tell you for ages, but you won't listen or you keep going on about, you know, chords and progressions and stuff about um, this great episode of This American Life, which is, I think, actually a repeat one. Um, And it's called The Great Feather Heist. Yeah. Why are you scowling at me? No, I'm not. I'm just thinking. Have I I listened to it? I don't think I have. Um, Anyway, (laughs) it's the strangest story and it's all true. It's about a young man who's actually a very gifted flautist, yeah. um, American by birth, um, who um, 
in the, I think it was the early 90s, was it? I can't remember when it was, um, broke in to um, an outpost of the British Museum that has a collection of the explorer um, Wallace's um, birds that he hiked through Malaya and all sorts of places to collect as specimens. Right. Robbed hundreds of these bird specimens because he was so hopelessly addicted to fly tying, which is this cult activity. Um, lots of practitioners in the United States where they tie trout flies using fancy feathers from rare birds. You know when like fly <laughs> fisher people go fishing, yeah. they don't use bait, like yeah. they don't put a worm on the hook or whatever. Yeah. They, it's all about the wrist action. You're sort of flicking these sort of things yeah. that look like they might be delicious insects um, onto the surface of the water and the trout come up and grab it. Right. So they, they use flies, which are um, little bunches of feathers that are tied to a hook. And this practice has evolved to this to become this bizarre, complicated and very slavishly followed hobby. Mm. They have fly tying conventions where famous fly tires use um, rare and unusual feathers to um, create these amazing things that never go anywhere near a fish, right? So this story is a bit about this kid growing up and finding that he was incredibly good at fly tying. He became completely obsessed with it. Meantime, he's also a um, flautist of genius. Mm. Um, he becomes the preeminent teen fly tire in the United States. But because he doesn't have much money, he can't... He feels like he's always fly tying with one hand held bound behind his back um, because he can't afford these rare feathers, which are often from rare species. They're kind of like sold on eBay and or the black market. Right. And so that's what he does. It's the weirdest, most fabulous story. Oh, my God. Full of strange characters. That sounds amazing. And it becomes like an investigation because... There's still sort of open mystery as to what happened to all the birds. Some of them got returned. Oh. Anyway, it's incredibly informative about fly tying, also about <laughs> um, what happened to um, rare and exotic birds during the Edwardian era where people were wearing lots of feathers on their hats. Oh, and yeah. And how feathers oh, yeah. have become, like, became at various points status symbols. Anyway. That it's, sounds good it's and weird. Sounds like the orchid thief. I and I listened to it with um, with my thirteen-year-old daughter, who was just incredibly addicted to it. Oh, it's just okay. yeah. All right, it's, it's really an, good. an episode of This American Life. This American Life. It's quite. A, it, it's been reposted in the last sort of month, so you don't have to dig far back to find it. Have you listened to any of the Australian podcast, The Eleventh? Yes, I have. It's I've listened to good. every episode that's yet available because they put up yeah. three straight away, and I, you know, hoovered them right. Um, so Modest this is a podcast about the dismissal, um, yeah. and it's modelled on. I know Nikki Tugwell, the EP of it, executive producer of it, very well. She's a good mate of mine. It's um, 
sort of the, the model is slow burn, which is yeah, a slate yep. podcast that you and I really like. We're big fans of the Lewinsky um, yep. one of those. So it takes it. What it tends to do is this style of documentary, I guess. It takes a story that you think you know. And it gives all this great context and brings in all these background characters to illuminate it in a, in a way that you feel like, wow, yeah. I don't know anything about this. So it's the dismissal. Oh, my God, it's riveting. It is. And you it, and it starts nice and early. So it's, yes, it's obviously yeah. working up to the yeah. 11th, um, the actual day. But just the context is just oh, remarkable. And yeah. just around the Vietnam War, yes, yeah. Jim Cairns. I mean, it kind of starts off with this cop who had to go and arrest someone for... He's um, amazing talent, being a, Peter O'Brien. Yeah, a conscientious yeah. objector. So, like, it starts at this kind of quite random place but is so gripping and it is. Um, um, it's the most extraordinary episode in Australian history and we all think we kind of like, yeah, yeah, we know what happened. Yeah, the conscientious objector thing it was so interesting because it's this cop who sort of grew up in a really traditional family um where he believed, you know, you got to do the right thing and he had a very sort of strong sense of right and wrong and so forth. And then he talks about having to lock up this guy who was a teacher who didn't want to be conscripted to serve in Vietnam. And he just talks about how it's haunted him, basically. And he says, you know, he, want, he just wants to apologise to that person. Yeah. Um, so he... But he then goes on to be working for... Is it ASIO that he ends up working for? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, anyway... It's and that's amazing too because one of the kind of... Um, ongoing tensions for the Whitlam government was that obviously it was elected and, um, I mean, Cairns, for instance, had been a um, a conscientious objector, even though he didn't, he was never um, uh, conscripted. But he said always, look, I, if I were a younger man and I were conscripted, I would refuse to go to yeah. fight in this war. And so um, the election of the Whitlam government was massively worrying to the American government yeah. because he was a, a government that was anti the war in Vietnam. And so this sort of spilled over into ASIO too, which was um, really focused on kind of anti-communist activities. And the um, election of the Whitlam government really created this tension between ASIO and the government. So, yeah. Um, that all feeds in. Yeah, I I am really loving it. It's really really interesting. Um, you've been on. I cannot believe how many podcasts you've I know, been to. I can't of late. stop. It's it's like. Well, I don't know. I think I've been um, I've been running around a lot. I've been mobile. I've been doing less writing, more kind of zooming around, filming and scripting and doing things. And so I've had opportunities to, you know, I've got twenty minutes where I'm walking somewhere and it's not really practical to read as you walk. So I've been burning through a lot of podcasts that way and I um, have just got into... I was um, uh, came across by accident um, an episode of um, the podcast series called Side Door, yeah, which is run by the Smithsonian. And it's all about... I mean, it's absolute... Such a good idea. It, Side Door is a podcast about little-known parts of their collection or sort of strange objects in their collection that have a real backstory and it's a space to tell the stories of these amazing artifacts right and so you know like most museums do not have all of their stuff you know or even anywhere near like a majority of their stuff out on view at any given time you know they're often 
stored and packed away and um, sometimes they're brought out and sometimes they're not. So this is a way of capitalising on, you know, weird things with backstories in the collection that might not be the most important thing or the thing that you would immediately want to go and see when you're at the Smithsonian but have this kind of extraordinary story. And the first one that I listened to is about, um, it's, I think it's called The Worst Video Game Ever. And it's about the Atari um, video game E.T. And it is, I didn't really ever play it when it was out. No, I went to I see E.T. in the pictures, but we didn't have, you know, an Atari, you know, we didn't really do video games. And Atari was sort of the absolute forefront of the move of video gaming into homes because you could plug it into your television and play it on your television. Yeah, that's what we had. And before that, people were like at arcades and stuff like that, um, playing all sorts of different video arcade games. But Atari was the king of bringing this stuff into the home. So it was massive among younger people and whatever. Anyway, so this is the story of what happened when Atari decided to do a sort of hook in with E.T., and design a video game to, to coincide with the release of E.T. the movie. And they talked to the guy who was the designer, who basically was told, you've got, um, I think it was 10 months to design, produce, oh. and have ready for distribution and purchase at the same time as E.T., this oh, video God. game. And it's incredibly tense listening to him because you think <laughs> this is madness and it just reminds you of like working for big organizations where someone just says, oh this would be great we can do it and he's like sure I can do it and then you just feel sick because what happens is it's this you know it was a disaster that's a disaster and in fact you know America on Christmas day was full of kids unwrapping their you know eat, wow the ET game plugging in and going this is really shit and it was oh, actually terrible. so bad that it is now blamed for the collapse and the end of Atari. Oh, my and, God. Wow. And this cassette that they have at the Smithsonian is really rare because they didn't sell that many of the E.T. game because it was so rubbish and word spread so quickly. So most of them, I don't know if it was most of them, a whole bunch of these games were absolutely useless. They were never sold, and so they were recouped by the company and buried in the desert. Oh, my God. And wow. for years and years, they were buried in this desert in New Mexico, and for years and years, then forgotten, and then there was this sort of urban myth that there were all of these video games buried in the desert and then somebody went and actually conducted a dig and found them oh man and then this dusty cassette is in the smithsonian <laughs> and it is this artifact of this extraordinary overreach and the collapse of this huge empire oh, based God. on someone just not being given enough time to do something good well that um yeah wow it's, it's an amazing story that sounds great it reminds me a little bit of in the ghostbusters episode of the movies that made us mm -hmm. um similar thing where they're given 10 months to come up with all oh, the special effects for vomit. ghostbusters and they're just going we can't do it we can't do it and so they go they rattle through unlike the et one it actually in the end works out but they rattle through <laughs> firstly 
they ended up just having to do some sort of real life effects because they just did not have time to do special effects. So, um, and they said oh, basically God. they told the editor, you, the, the edits need to be really fast because we can't leave this up on the screen too long because it'll be exposed <laughs> that, you know, it's a toothbrush and a shoebox. Um, so there's this, this opening scene of Ghostbusters, which is quite famous, which is a librarian walking through yeah, the library. I found that so terrifying, by the way. The drawers when they really sort of scary. open and the cards yeah. all go flying out. It's just a guy with a straw standing at the back end of the drawer blowing. No. <laughs> yeah. And then there's a character, he's like this sort of blobby looking ghost and the guy who's designing the thing um, has you know, put all this work into it under huge time pressure and then the night before it's due they say, we want it to look like John Belushi and they're just like, he's like, Jim Belushi is his name? Jim, Jim. yeah. Um, and he's like, what? Like, this has taken six weeks, I can't just make it look like Belushi. And so um, he oh. just brings the final what he's already done, he just brings it the next day and goes, okay, I've made it look like Belushi, what do you reckon? And everyone goes, oh, awesome. well done, great. <laughs> he just sort of, he didn't change a thing, they just sort of fell for it. Anyway, it's great. Uh, I got to run, I just got a message about work. Oh, so, well, yeah. yeah, it's been good though, hasn't it's it? Been, it's been it's great, been good. as always. <laughs> See ya. Are you enjoying Chat Tan Looks 3? If you do enjoy our company, uh, you can interact on a just a dizzying array of online platforms. You can go to our website, www.chat10looks3.com, where you'll have the, all the show notes from every show we've ever done. Thanks, Brenda. Uh, there's also um, a little link through to uh, a bookshop called Bedside Table, where you can purchase, if you'd like, any of the books that we've talked about in the podcast. You can also find merch if Gwen has been up to her terrible tricks and um, putting together diabolically hilarious merchandise. Can you make this a bit snappier? It's going to take us over the 30 minutes. Oh, my God. Are you for real? <laughs> anyway, uh, you can catch us on Instagram, on Twitter, or join the Facebook group, which is, well, that's just uh, something um, completely else indeed. <laughs>